It's Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We will begin with our scripture of the week, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, in a piece entitled by me, The Church's Dilemma. Then I'll be joined by Pastor Emily Larson to talk scripture and how we as a church can be God's provision in the world. But first, a rating from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so that we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, and the compassionate in cheerfulness. Imagine for a second that you've failed in your attempt to lead 11 men in stealing $160 million from the 3,000 block of Las Vegas Avenue otherwise known as the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. You and your tattooed and always-eating partner in crime find yourselves the guest of the Las Vegas Police Department, who have kindly placed you in separate accommodations to be interviewed. This tactic by the cops proves key. You don't know what he gives up, and he won't know what you give up. They don't have you dead to rights. If you both can stick to the lie, you'll get away with it. However, the threat of serious jail time hangs over you both. Can you count on him to lie? Will he tell the truth in exchange for less jail time? If he tells the truth and you lie, you face much worse consequences. What's a prisoner to do? The key to winning the prisoner's dilemma is coordination. If both prisoners lie, everyone wins. The cops fail to drive a wedge, and you both get away. However, as soon as someone tells the truth, no one gets the best outcome. Without knowing what your buddy is going to do, do you risk your hide by lying? Or accept the lesser of two evils, tell the truth, and blow it for your buddy? You have to trust the honor among thieves, which, famously, is a fairly shallow reserve. Most people take the option of telling the truth for the sake of a lower sentence because the risk of getting caught in a lie outweighs the hope of winning. We live in a constant Christian version of this dilemma. We may not be trying to get away with the heist of the century because the house always wins, but we do fail to coordinate and thus fail to achieve the best results for God's kingdom. Paul opens chapter 12 of Romans with a direct instruction. 
as it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We must lay it all on the line for God. How we can appropriately respond to God's grace in our lives is by giving ourselves wholly over to the service of God and, by extension, wholly over to the service of God's kingdom. One should not read bodies too completely literally here. Instead, Paul wants you to see the need to hand over the entirety of yourself to God and to use your specific gifts on behalf of God's people. Imagine what our world would be like if all two billion Christians did exactly this, if we coordinated and gave it all for God. But we don't do that. Much like our prisoners, we face the question of what if I commit, but everyone else doesn't? If I give myself fully over to God, and everyone else just goes on doing whatever they want, I'm just going to live a life of getting trampled, taken advantage of, and left without a caretaker. It's the same problem as with Paul's language around mutual submission in marriage. A wife should submit to a husband, and a husband to a wife, so that everyone has someone to look after them. If only one submits, the other takes advantage and gets a free ride. When some commit and some hold back, those that do commit bear more of the burden than they should and often get left without anyone to take care of their needs. Every church that I've ever served, worked for, or attended had a small group of people who keep the whole operation going. These folks have indeed given themselves over to the service of God and should be commended for their godly service. However, Time and time again, I watch as these folks burn out, as church turns into a job, and they feel left carrying the weight of the world, while others simply get to attend and enjoy the benefits. As a pastor, so much of the last 10 years of my life has been trying to bring sustainability, new recruits, and additional resources to these unequal situations. Often, when a volunteer comes into my office to quit, their issue centers on burnout. I've been doing this for 20 years. I feel like I'm the only one who keeps this going. This shouldn't just be my responsibility. Richer churches hire staff to try and plug these gaps, but most of the staff who come into my office to quit say the exact same thing. I can't do this anymore. I don't have the support. I feel like I'm doing it by myself. No one is taking care of my needs. I get the hesitancy that people have for getting involved. They fear that they will end up carrying the whole world and get trampled. It can seem more appealing to pull back, to just put a toe in, and to let other folks do the heavy lifting. See the problem? The world 
and the church, as God designed it, means everyone giving their all, fully committing, and handing it all over to God's control. This way, the work of the kingdom gets done, and everyone has someone to take care of them. To do this, we must coordinate. We must all commit the whole of our beings to God. We give of ourselves and trust that everyone else will do the same. In some ways, this feels like a bigger leap of faith than simply trusting in God. We have to ourselves respond to God and trust in God working in others. That way, we can all overcome the church's dilemma. So I, okay, so I got a little, um, comedy focused on this one and decided <laughs> that I was doing an Ocean's Eleven thing. I don't know at what point I committed that I was doing an Ocean's Eleven thing, but I was doing an Ocean's Eleven thing because I, I got stuck on this idea, clearly got stuck on this idea of the prisoner's dilemma, right? <laughs> that, <laughs> that obviously we are not trying to do, I mean, maybe not obviously, we are not trying to do, we are not trying to do crimes. <laughs> But we face like that similar, like we have this failure to coordinate and that dovetails into what I actually think is one of, you know, kind of Paul's larger points with this of like, you have all these gifts because they're needed. And so it is this, if we all coordinate, if we all commit, if we all give of ourselves, then the gifts that are needed are at the table because You've been given these gifts for a reason. Part of the task is figuring out how to use them. And this is one of the key parts of divine, of divine provision, of God providing for God's people and God's world, is theoretically there are now billions of people interconnected as the body of Christ with all of these abilities and resources to then do the will of God, that which is perfect, right? Like that, which is admirable, that which like, that's the whole point that this is a scripture about devotion. This isn't a scripture that advertises itself as being one about divine providence. Um, it is a scripture about, de about devotion. This but, goes back yeah. to that. We, we were talking about this last week when we were discussing, uh, looking at that divine providence, looking at who's at the table, yeah. looking at who God has sent your way, um, and recognizing the gifts and the talents in others, um, and seeing perhaps why God has sent them there. Um, well, it's just looking at it in the perspective yeah. of, of a person instead of, you know, a thing or a resource, looking yeah. at that and, and the people aspect of it. The pitch I made kind of in, in, in the sermon was if last week we were the brothers, we were Joseph's but last week, the like fundamental position from the, the, at least the preaching aspect, right, was, hey, these things seem to happen at random. It's God playing 3D chess, right? Okay. And so that's telling the story from the perspective of the brothers. The brothers experience God's 3D chess. Joseph experiences the opportunity to step up and do something. And so what Paul does, and I don't know if Paul would think about it this way, but in pairing these two, these are very paired on purpose, um, pairing these two together, it is 
you can think of yourself as the brothers, right? And look at the amazing 3D chess ways that God has provided for you. And now think of yourself as Joseph. What if you're the piece on the board? How do like think like look around and think about like how can I be the piece on the board? How can I be the way that God's prov- God's provision, God's work gets done? If I've got these gifts, which you do, then think about how do you use them and then recognize that you have this gift and you have the opportunity to use it. That's as miraculous as anything else God has ever done. (laughs) It's just the miracle we're super used to, but it is Mm -hmm. still a miracle, right? That is still miraculous divine provision, but that you have, you know, you have this role to play. That we get the privilege of being a part of what God is doing in this kingdom building to use your, uh, your blues brothers reference that you used in your sermon, you know, but, but a different one, uh, you know, we're on a mission from God. Right. We get to Wait, be on a mission right. from God. We get to go and do something about it. We are on a, like the Blues <laughs> Brothers have shown up a weird amount. In the past. Like, I, and I don't understand. Well, I guess I do understand why that I'm, you know, my, I was a, uh, I was a very lonely preteen. Um, and so my father decided that this was his opportunity to uh, give me a cinematic education. And so, you know, for like, and this is back in the days of, you know, this just shows my age, right? Um, this is back in the days of blockbuster video, right? So you couldn't just stream all movies ever. And so we would rent like, I don't know, two or three movies per weekend. And they like, were they appropriate for a 13 year old? I don't know. What is appropriate, right? Like I said, like, you know, dog day afternoon in heat, right? Like should a 13 year old be seeing dog day afternoon in heat? Who is right? I turned out fine. Um, but I guess, uh, but like, so anyway, but like the, so the Blues Brothers, this was around the time, you know, again, showing my age, this is right around Blues Brothers 2000. And so Blues Brothers had risen back up to cultural relevancy. And frankly, that movie's amazing. Um, I'll hear nothing uh, against it. Um, and so th- that is from like my era of being cinematically educated by my father. Um, this is the Blues Brothers stand out. Um, as, you know, partly go on to, had previously appreciated a lot of Dan Aykroyd's work um, via Ghostbusters. I go on to appreciate a lot of more of Belushi's work, things like Animal House, and of course as a, you know, a, a, a college student in 2005 was very important. It's an important film. I had a picture, a poster of Belushi um, from that movie. On, of course you did. You know, I, I often, you know, when someone is giving an emotional speech, I go, quiet, he's rolling. Right? Like, I, you know... <laughs> That's a quote I've used this week. Um, so anyways, I, this, this film is important to me. The, 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 both of those films, Blues Brothers and Blues Brothers 2000, I view as important films. Um, and I, like that, the fra- those, both of those phrases, as spoken by Belushi and Aykroyd, are in my mind. I, like, not at all times, perhaps, but close to at all times. On a mission from God. 
the mm-hmm. Lord works in mysterious ways. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and we're on a mission from God. <laughs> and, 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 and to your point, right, these scriptures in some ways combine those, right? That the like, Yes. Genesis 45 is 100% the Lord works in mysterious ways. See the mystery. See the, you know, the 3D chess. See the way. Right. Um, but Romans 12 takes it to the, okay, now you're on you're a mission, on a from, mission God. from God. You're right? on a, this is you, where you get to step up and do. You, we, we are the body of Christ, right? We are united as a body of Christ. And just as a body has many members, so too you've got some stuff to do, right? We may not, you know, all own cop cars and jump them through the air. And, and <laughs> you know, I am certainly not a gifted blues musician, although they really are. Those guys, it's tremendous. Um but like, you know, we all have we all have these gifts. And that's not just like a like that's not just like a nice thing. That's a strategic move. Right. Mm-hmm. The like, you know, sometimes you know, maybe this just tells I need to sleep more. Um, but sometimes when I contemplate God, I recognize there is like a real not coldness, because that's not true, but like a real strategic nature calculated calculated yeah that's a great word not cold but calculated Calculated. yes not cold but calculated um and it you know i didn't play high school football but i can imagine like a a warm but calculating high school football coach right like the like you know okay i'm gonna put you i really care about you i'm also gonna put you in this strategic position um you know it is that and you are in that strategic position uh, for the so, good so, of the team, right? To get the team to work as a whole, so that they can accomplish the mission, whatever that mission may be, right? You know, and you know, and so, so sometimes when, when contemplating the divine, I butt up against that side of God's nature, and I have to take you know, it, it gives it, it gives a different feeling, right? It is, um, it, it is, you know, we we love. And we should, right? We love God the Comforter. We love we love God the Savior. Um, but God is also the one who sends us out all out on a mission. God the coach, right? right. Yeah. God the coach, God the chess player, putting the pieces into place, saying you've got these gifts and talents. Now go and use them, right? In these unique and fun ways. Like it I, I like that you mentioned in your sermon yesterday that, you know, it's not a definitive list of gifts. No, God. That it's not, yeah. We like we like to do those spiritual gifts assessments, and there's nothing wrong with them, no, no, right? No, no, like, there's no. nothing wrong with the personality tests and the spiritual gifts assessments and all of those things, right? They're good, useful tools to have, but they're not comprehensive, right? Um, my... <laughs> My husband is one of those that I think of when I look at those tests because he will look at that and go, well, those are not my gifts and talents and that's not a thing that I do. Um, I'm a martial artist, right? Yeah. How do you use that for the kingdom of God? Well, guess what? Well, hey, he has. Right. <laughs> but also, like, he he sees the world, like, it is, it, he sees the world in a specific way and then helps him yes. connect with people in a certain way. I, yes. So I was... I was in Peru. Okay. So I was in Peru doing, this is going somewhere, I promise, um, <laughs> as part of a World Methodist Evangelism Seminar. Um, this is, I, I famously in my life shattered my foot on this trip um, and came back on crutches. Um, no, excuse me, came back without crutches. And so I had to get lifted on and off the bus 
and I have lost a lot of weight since then. Um, and so like I'm getting, and, and, you know, Peruvian folks, you know, not giant. And so I'm like, it, it took like me. <laughs> four or five people to like lift me onto the bus. It was very, I don't like being touched. And so this is very eye opening experience. Anyways. Um, I, at some point I, 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 we, so Methodism, which is our denomination, like in, South America uh, and in Latin America generally is very spiritual. Um, the holiness movement grows out of the Methodist church, right? Like we help give birth to things like the holiness tradition, even Pentecostalism has some roots in Methodism, um, which is, I always have to remind folks is, you know, Methodism can also feel like the, like the most, the second most staid and boring way to worship imaginable. And it's not actually where we come from and it's not who we've always been. And it's not who we are in our global expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of tongue speaking in tongues that happened um, as part of this retreat that we were hosting. It was, it was really cool. I actually, you know, they came in and, and prayed over me in tongues to help heal my foot, which was very kind. Um, but so I attended a lecture there um, about spiritual gifts. And in some ways it was very much like, hi, let's remember first Corinthians. Right, so Paul is uh, mad at the Corinthians. Uh, you would be too, uh, because they've become obsessed with speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. They think it's the only spiritual gift, and so that's where we get Paul's list of gifts in First Corinthians, which also should not be read as exhaustive. Right. But he is more making the point: Hi, it's about more than just this one thing. You numbskulls. Um, <laughs> Paul didn't swear; he was lovely. He, anyways, um, he didn't swear in his writings, anyways. Yeah, at least. <laughs> um, or at least the person writing him down, uh, you know, omitted Galatian, that part. Edited Galatians, that part. You wonder. Um, you wonder what the first draft of what is the draft of Galatians that Paul wrote <laughs> and then read it the next morning and then didn't send it, uh-huh. right? Like what that is that text that you don't yeah, hit right. send on? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So what, what it, was there the is, first one? <laughs> Obviously, we've lost the originals of all of these, but I want the first draft. The one I really want is the first draft of Galatians. That's what I want, because there's got to be a draft out there that's even wilder. Anyway. Um, so anyways, Winston, who's the kind of head of the organization, was giving this you know, lecture on spiritual gifts and gifts of the spirit. Um, and I probably walked into that seminar um, wondering, like, you know, I don't, speaking in tongues is not my gift. It is not how I connect with God. And, and thinking about, like, what are really my spiritual gifts, right? Um, I talk good, um, but, I, you know. And, like, talked about, so, like, one of the specific gifts he mentioned was comedy. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I'm really good at, like, making people laugh. Usually at me, but, like, I'm good at making people laugh. And so, like, that... That is why, like, I always, because we do, like, we try to strictly define this. And then even I end up in this place like, hey, what do I, where do I, I guess I exhort people. That's not, wasn't my job then, but it is very much my job now. But, like, I guess I can see, now see myself in this specific list of gifts. Um, But I don't always. And we shouldn't. It is about this, like. So, you know, Winston gave us this, like, really broad list of gifts, of which one was comedy. And I'm like, ah, 
okay, yeah, I'm not speaking in tongues. It's just not my, and you know, and, and some people who do speak in tongues just just wait for it to happen. I'm like, I just don't think it's gonna. I just don't think it's gonna happen. It doesn't devalue it as a gift. I just don't think it's mine. Um, but like Winston frames this thing as you know, it helped me see beyond. It's helped me see beyond these lists. Of, right. Oh, it really is just about Paul. Is really just making the point. There's all of these things the way the spirit can move in your life. And he, his lists are not consistent and they don't need to be because he's making this broader point. Yes. And that we fit into that somewhere. Right. Um, regardless of what it is your gifts and talents are. Um, but what this scripture is really calling you to do is to give that over to God completely. Right. right. To, to commit fully your entire self to it, your entire soma, your entire, yeah. I mean, it says body in here, but we need to not get hung up on Yeah, yeah don't get the hung up. Phys- don't get, don't get do, hung up on body. This not. is where toxic purity culture can come from. Focus, focus. Everyone, every, this is another one. Everyone, everyone join me in camera. One, focus, focus. <laughs> yes. Let us not lose the forest for the trees. Right. Ignore do not ignore the list of gifts. Ignore its specificity. Do right. not get hung up on body. The Greek here is implying the totality of oneself. The entire personhood. <laughs> right. Your personhood. Right? Mm-hmm. Do not get like not just your physical body. Can right. we can we move past that, people? <laughs> move on. That right. is a piece of, a part of, right? <laughs> yes, your physical body should be in the service of the Lord as well. However, that's not what that scripture was meant to focus in. <laughs> God. Can it, we talk about that? Right. Because uh. it is It is this like, it is in the end, it's a scripture about commitment. Yes. And, you know, what I tried to do in the essay piece was like, I trust me, as someone who, you know, lives my life in a church, almost literally, sometimes literally, um, I, I get it, right? Like, we keep dumping, not everyone does it, right? Like, um, I have this, like, strange under, you know, undercurrent of a lot of my preaching is that I sometimes, you know, I think I've said this on the show before. I don't always know how Christian Christians are, right? I don't, and I don't actually mean, like, you know, do we vote the right way or not swear or not drink or all these like really like the purity, you know, all these like right. purity markers, um, what negatively get described as virtue signaling, which also used to just be called setting a good example. And so, but like, yeah. you know, like all of these, like, like, you know, how do you define a, a Christian teenager? Well, they don't have sex before marriage. Well, what happens if you don't have sex before marriage? You're bound, apparently. Um, and so, like, but that's not really what Paul is on about. Because, you know, the average Christian gives, like, 2% of their income. Um, in the way the, right. Like, the biblical standard is 10. So, like, how biblical literal are you being? Right? So, if you ever find yourself in an argument with a biblical literalist, ask them how much of their income they give to God. Right. You know, it's interesting. You you brought up the question of how Christian are Christians these days. Yeah. Your your buddy Dietrich Bonhoeffer asked the same thing. Oh, yeah. No. Dietrich's you know? so mad. That is, welcome to what <laughs> the, Dietrich's The religiousness, yeah. the, re, the religious-lessness of Christians. Yeah. 
is what well, he brought up. Or, or you know, and he and he's he's riffing in that way. He's riffing on his teacher Bart. Bart right. has one of my you know favorite summations, and and I'm gonna summarize because Bart wrote Dogmatics, which is like 27 volumes long. Mm-hmm. Um, it like it takes. I've seen it. It takes up a whole shelf on the library. Um, <laughs> But, like, you know, one of the things he points out is, like, yeah, so much of what we do in church is uh, 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 shenanigans. It has nothing to do with God. Um, So that maybe we're ready for, like, the times where God really breaks in. But Mm -hmm. most of the time, meh. We're just making ourselves feel better. Um, And so Bonhoeffer, you know, looks at the world and goes, man, a whole bunch of Christians are Nazis. Uh Uh-huh. Man, that really seems like a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was. And And I think modernity has its own version and maybe it just never went away. I don't know. But like, you know, I can only stare at the world that I see. And I wonder, you know, we get hung up on these like single issues that we think define Christianity or like, you know, and the truth is, is like, have you given your life fully over to Jesus? And I don't, and I don't mean like your heart, whatever, like, that like whatever the thing whatever i feel at Disney the, pu- World. the puzzle piece where jesus fits right? right this is the that's the youth version of it is you know you've got a hole in your heart that only jesus can fill okay yes that that is true that's true i, I you give know, your I, heart to god yes but then far be give, it for me to contradict c.s lewis like absolutely right. but then but, give the rest of your life as well <laughs> it's not just about this one time justifying give, punch your ticket to heaven the you know totality paul is calling us here you know i you know and, and bonhoeffer and bart and all these you know are, are riffing on you know on paul on jesus too this is, this is not new right um to give the entirety of our being over to god and that's the standard of being a christian yeah. is your relationship with god shaping every decision you make Mm -hmm. that every choice you make is grounded on your relationship and ongoing conversation with god that is what it means to be a christian and that should scare the bejesus out of us yes right that should like you know it's one of those like i uh I was often very behind on papers in grad school um, as one who is now contemplating more graduate education. That terrifies me um, much faster at sermon writing than I ever was at paper writing. Um, I read uh, cost of discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in one weekend sitting alone um, in, uh, I had a, I split my time between a parsonage in the mountains and an apartment in Atlanta. And this was one of those weekends where I was, you know, I was separate from my spouse because I was up where my church was. And so I'm sitting on this dead guy's couch, um, uh, eating nothing but Reese's peanut butter cups and doing nothing but reading Cost of Discipleship. And that's intense, right? And that experience shook me um, at how terrible a Christian I am. Um, But really, like, these eight verses should do that. Yeah. Right? This should fly us. This should fly us open and make us really think. Like, ha, 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 am I doing it? And I don't want us to like. Does God love me? Yes, God loves you. That's not the point. The point is, you know, 
we want to get real whatever about we want to feel real good about ourselves for being Christian. You know, as this is some marker of moral superiority. Yeah, but you know, do do you feel good reading Roman? Like, I want to ask this right. folks. Are I you are you truly living into that Romans calling to give your entire life? You know, there was a oh, I forget who wrote a year of small things, um, but it was a a study on people who got together and decided to live and like really look at what their Christian walk looked like. Um, and so each month they would focus on, you know, like they would share their finances with one another and say, you know, are you truly giving your finances over to God? And Sarah you- Arthur, I fact checked on, she did the thing I should never do. I fact checked on the Thank podcast. You. Uh, yeah. Sarah Arthur and Aaron Wassinger. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You're and right. they, Basically, in suburbia are, you know, challenging one another to do this. So looking at finances, looking at household chores, looking at, you know, whether or not you should um, spray the dandelions in your yard or leave them for the pollinators. Right. Yeah. Um, With your HMO or your uh, homeowners. (laughs) HOA. Sorry. Your HOA. Not HMO. Who is going to, when it stops being 100 degrees, is going to come after me for the horror scene that is my front lawn. The dandelions or whatever, you know, so, but looking at every decision, every financial decision, every, the things you eat, the way that you exercise, you know, those things that we don't think about as spiritual well, decisions. Well, and that's the, like. And putting them through that lens. And that's the, you know, I, there. It was at an event uh, where uh, you know, there was a, a rabbi that presented, and so kosher, I guess, is on my mind, but like. That is the theory. That is like the healthy version of things like kosher as well. Yes. Right? That, you know, how how do we, you know, how do we define Christianity? Well, theoretically, it is we've handed the totality of our decision making over to God. How do we, you know, how do how does a, a Jew commit to being a Jew? It is there are these practices and this is how we, you know, you know, I, I think I've talked about this before that like, you know, I, I, I live I live in a Jewish neighborhood. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love being in the grocery store at like 4.30 on a Friday because um, it's a bunch of stressed Jewish dads who need to make it home for you know, Shabbat. Before Sabbath. Coming. Yes, so, you know, Shabbat is on the way. Sundown is coming. Shabbat is on the way. <laughs> and I really need these four items. Um, yes. and, 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 you know, that, that it fascinates to me, like, that, degree of devotion that involves right that that like this practice is so important to you you're going to upend and inconvenience your life for it and the christian version of that because you know it, it, you know it's we're crafted by a lot of the same sacred texts here is that question of like have we given over the totality of our decision making to god right like are we actually and this is where like people were like i've given my heart to god i pray to god all the time cool 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 Good steps. Uh, how about your money? Right. Talk about your money for a second. How about your house and your possessions? How, how about, about your house and your possessions? How about the way that you parent? How about right. the way that you're, you know, treating your coworkers? How about right. all those other things? How about your job? Right. You how know? about all the, like, um, uh, Charles Taylor is this great uh, Christian scholar looking at a secular world. Um, and one of the images he talks about is the inherent polytheism of modern uh, of modernity of ah. modern secular society and he and he doesn't mean like polytheism in the in the hindu sense what he means is like we worship god and we worship our job 
and we worship our money and we worship children. I add to this kids sports. Yeah. Um, right. Like, and, and we are meant to live in a world where it is God influences all these other things. That's literally what is here in Romans 12, one through eight. And but instead, how often is it all those other things influence how much time we right. have to so carve like, out in our schedule for you God? You know, on Sunday, I worship God. On Monday, I worship my job. On Saturday, I worship children's sports. Um, my son joined the, the Houston Boys Choir, so it's coming for me too, right? I've managed to avoid, like, I've made it to the age of, well, we made it to the age of seven without major non-church um, extracurriculars. Not necessarily on purpose. It's just how it played out. Um, but this year we will be in both Boy Scouts and Houston Boys Choir. And, I, and, and so it's coming for us too, right? Um, and, and like, so it is this like, and that's the polytheism he talks about is that the world is meant to be oriented one way. And what we actually end up with is just like six or seven gods. Yep. Um, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God can have God can have this squishy thing I call my heart. Um, but do not touch my money. Right. And pastor, do not talk about money. Why? Jesus why not? Jesus sure does. Yep. Uh the uh, uh apparently so anyways, the one of the rabbis from um uh, Beth Am- uh, Temple Emmanuel here in Houston spoke at this event that we hosted. We hosted a Houston Faith Votes event um, here at the church yesterday, recording this on Monday. Um, so this past Sunday. Um, and they were talking about, like, they were doing a kind of talking about participating in elections, not recommending a candidate, which none of us can do because we're on nonprofit status, um, but encouraging people to vote and they were doing it um on the day of atonement and uh, someone came up to him after afterwards and was like hey rabbi i just don't know if it's appropriate for us to talk about this you know on the day of atonement <laughs> and his answer was like really <laughs> you sure about that i think that's exactly the time when we need to talk about you know participating in the life the political life of our nation from a godly perspective fits really well within the day of atonement because uh-huh. it, it, it you know um he also there's, there's other this other jewish text like the the existence of government this is not in the old testament this is one of the, the later texts the existence of government is so that like people don't kill each it's the god's way to prevent us from all killing each other which is accurate. Um, that's John Locke before John Locke wrote. Um, but like, it is absolutely, because it, again, it's not about this like one carved off thing that shouldn't touch who I vote for. Shouldn't touch how I use my money. You know, I, I, if my children don't play soccer real good, they're not going to get that scholarship. And I'm like, it's just, I want my kids to go to college too, but like, let's remember the actual Romans 12, back to the scripture for a second. Um, Romans 12 is calling us to the right structure of the universe, the right structure of our lives. And it begins, the faithful response to God's grace in our life is to hand the totality of our being over to God. Yes, that reprioritization of all things to God first, and then everything else falls in line. And so if we want to get real boasty about how great it is to be Christian, and by all means, I think it's great. And God really does love you. And by the way, everybody else. 
Um, but God certainly loves you. And God really did give you the free gift of grace. All that's true. 100%. No doubt. But if you want to get real boasty, read Romans 12. I do. And I, I, don't, I don't hold up well. Um, read cost of, you want to like Romans 12, but a lot more <laughs> read cost of discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It is mm-hmm. meant to be read by normal humans. Um, and if you walk out of that one, not utterly like convicted, please read it again. Cause you missed it. It'll change. Yeah. It'll change you that one. I could keep going in the, I could keep going in this forever. We should probably take a break. Um, we'll uh, be right back from the other side of this break. There'll be some music that plays and then uh, we'll do our segment, how to restart a church and, and start to think about like, what does it mean? What does it mean for us as religious churches um, to provide in our community? We'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back uh, with a segment that we like to call How to Restart a Church. And I I want us to frame this one, you know, we don't always do this where we frame it directly alongside the scripture. Sometimes we have fun guests, or but this one is, you know, we talk a lot, you know, in the first segment about thinking this on the individual level, right? Like, you have these gifts, being fully committed to use these gifts and be God-providing, Right. So now we think about that as a church, right? And thinking about like building a church, being a church, rebuilding a church, rebeing a church by thinking, starting with the like, what are our gifts? And then thinking of looking out at the world around us, either in person or digitally, and thinking, we're good at X oh, our community needs X in this way, right? So, you know, for our own our own congregation, we have, like, a really beautiful example. So we have um, the the other pastor on the team, Abbasoriani, um, is an immigrant herself. And there are, you know, in some precincts of Houston, the um, uh, non-citizen population could be, like, 40%, right? And, and our, our precinct is not quite that high, but similar, right? Like, a huge percentage of the people around us are immigrants. Um, and and particularly from, uh, it's less from Mexico these days. Um, it's more from kind of Central, America, Central and South America. Um, and there's this huge need. And Basoriani, as a immigrant herself, like understands that perspective, understands how to talk into that experience, how to build that kind of community. Because it helps if you're not, you didn't, you know, she didn't attend some lecture on, you know, how do I reach immigrants? She just is one. Um, and so like, and has also has just an incredibly gifted pastor. And so that combination of things. And so then you have this whole community who is really good at speaking into the immigrant experience and understands those needs and understands those struggles. And so can step out in ministry in the community in huge ways. You know, these, you know, VBS was, is huge. Like every Sunday has lunch after service, right? Like it, it is really a wonderful example of, thinking about what are our gifts, what are our graces, what are the things that God's put in us, how do we leverage those in a way that builds something meaningful for 
the people around us, the people that we are not currently interacting with. It really is an incredible ministry, what Pastora Yeni is doing. She, uh, When I got to visit a few weeks ago, there were almost 40 children yeah, in one wild. teeny tiny yeah. classroom. Yeah. Um, and that was just at like seven through 11 year olds. That wasn't the older teenagers or the six and unders. There were so many kids, but there were also so many kids because they saw a need in the community. That was the day that they did uh, free backpacks and they yeah. did uh, back to school haircuts. Um, they looked around and said, who can do free haircuts and brought them in and gave them to the community. So they, they really did meet physical needs. Um, well, they've got this, you know, this amazing well. team of folks who, you know, have been bulk cooking food for people their whole lives. It's, you know, their vocation. They might not be working as cooks here in the United States yet, um, but that's their background. So that's who does the feeding of the community, right? This is not like, we're not catering a lunch, right? Like lunch is made because we have these folks and this is partly community building, partly a way to talk, talk, meaningfully talk about food insecurity. Um, and it, it, it is all happening because of folks giving of themselves and folks being able to recognize that their gifts help them reach this group, right? Like we, you know, we're not going to like pivot that ministry to address like middle-class business owners, right? Like, and there, and there are middle-class business owners who speak Spanish who also would like a Spanish service. And like, if those folks show up, everyone's welcome, but that's not, the key, the key is like we have these folks who fundamentally understand the immigrant experience because they are them that themselves, um, and can then speak into that in a way that is leveraging those gifts, committing to use those gifts to reach a whole bunch of folks in the community around us that absolutely need that kind of connection. Absolutely, and so looking around at your church, you know, looking around at the gifts and the graces that are in your church. You know, we, we've asked the question of, uh, to struggling churches before, you know, if your church was to close its doors tomorrow, would your community even notice, Yeah. you know, would people even know, you know, are you the church with that food ministry? Are you the church with the clothes closet? Are you the church that, with the, with the killer know, contemporary service, right? Like, it, right. You know, whatever, what is the whatever your niche, your niche is, be all that. Right. And like, but you find and I that have, thing. Well, you and I have both served, served churches who really couldn't answer that question. Right. For whom that question was, was kind of damning. Right. Like, you know, I, I, I think of a, um, a, a small country church, um, that I served through middle of nowhere. Um, and, but they were right on a main road that like, essentially it was not a huge community. There were like 4,000 people living across, and I'm not joking, like 35 square miles, right? Like, it, it, you know, here in, within a five mile radius of this church is like 400,000 people. And so th- I get that this is not incredibly populated, like the entire area could fit comfortably into one section of Joel Osteen's sanctuary, right? right. Like, I, I get it. But like, they're right on this main road. And so they have the, they had the gift of visibility. In the end, everyone in that community, now you, you drive by it like 60 miles an hour, but there's not a lot of things on that road. It's them, 
a store, the fire department, and a mine. Right? Like, and, and so they have, incre- they have the gift of incredible visibility. This is certainly um, a community with a ton of needs. Um, and they didn't use it. Right? They really wanted a social club for themselves. I, uh, I, you know, being squirrely, um, I did our one year, I did the annual egg hunt for that church at the store slash bar that was literally next door, right? So it was literally next door, and I would hang out there uh, once a week just to, like, get to know anybody else in the community, right? Um, it's not a big community, so, like, not a lot of places. And so I would go have a chicken sandwich and a whatever soft drink. And, like, hang out and just, you know, become a part of the fabric of the community. Um, Real, like, you know, level one, get to know your folks. Um, Eat at relevant things. Um, And got to know them well enough. It was like, you know, there were kids that hung around. You know, and so I did the egg hunt there. Got in massive trouble. Massive trouble um, with the church. Um for holding our egg hunt there in a bar. Now it was a bar slash restaurant slash general store to call that thing a bar misunderstands what it was. Um, it did serve beer, but it is not a bar. That was a restaurant slash general. You could buy beer, a chicken sandwich or spark plugs. Um, it was va- like, again, like, this is Western frontier stuff. And you know, <laughs> I was there like 2016, right? Um, I got in massive trouble and I'm sitting there. And, and so there, that was actually the first church I used that quote on of like, <laughs> and I made them go to like, or maybe we were made to go. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. We had to go to this like small churches seminar. Um, and I, you know, they actually introduced that quote to them of like, Hey, if your church door is closed tomorrow, would your community notice? And the answer to that is other than the 30 people, that attended that church. No. Yeah. No, they wouldn't. And they resisted any efforts to do otherwise, to use this strategic location for anything, to meet any need in the community. Right. Um, And this is why we need more deacons in the world. Yeah. (laughs) This is why we need more bridges because that, you know, we think of the role of a deacon in the United Methodist Church is to have one foot in the community and one foot in the church. Instead of trying to get the community to come in and fit into your God-shaped box, try to get the church to go out and be relevant in their community. Um, you know, go and use their gifts and talents and graces in the community for something. And it doesn't have to be what everybody else is doing. It doesn't even have to be Actually, it big. shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't it, be what everybody It should be doing. unique to you. You know, I had uh, one church that had the idea, and I thought it was a great idea, um, to do funerals well, yeah. right? Yeah. Older congregation, they only had, you know, 10 or 12 people, but man, they could potluck well. And you know what's really important during funerals is that potluck. meal afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. And so if that's the only thing that, if that is your gift and grace, then use that. To serve people well for the kingdom so, of God. 
So the first church I was ever a pastor of, Smith Chapel. You'll notice when it's good stories, I name them. And when it's not good stories, I don't. Mm. <laughs> this is, you know, whatever. But like, so the first church I served, Smith Chapel. Um, when I got there, you know, we were, they were in a rough patch. Um, some of it was off of just some, you know, real rough pastoral stuff. Um, and some of it is like, it's not an ideal location for ministry across the street from a cows and next door to corn. Um, it's just not like. Welcome to Texas. <laughs> this was Georgia, but yeah, I mean, welcome wow. to, you know, rural South. Rural. Right? It was just, just not ideal. Um, but they really liked each other, right? They really liked each other, not just loved each other, but liked each other. But they still had the gift of that liking each other and wanting to spend time with each other. These folks literally did a potluck every month, every month and it was good um not all potlucks are good these were good i looked forward to them um i don't like most potluck i don't mo- like must brown mushy food i like i remember you know this is 10 years ago now i remember these potlucks their liking of each other and enjoying one another's company had not become exclusive it remained inclusive and so if someone new showed up at the door, that was the hard part. But once they got to the door, everything was great. And I didn't know this about them when I first got there, although they were very nice to me. And I was, you know, 26 and newly a pastor and definitely from the city and had never even heard of Tunnel Hill, Georgia. Um, And so they were really kind to me. But I watched this play out as visitors came. And I realized that was their gift, right? That... You know, they weren't incredibly wealthy, but they were pretty committed. But they were good at liking each other, which, by the way, is not true of every church. Um, And that liking could include anyone who showed up. There was a real hospitality there that became the core of what transformed that church, that as new folks came, came or as like, you know, people who had lapsed came back, everyone just rolled into the family. And you could feel fundamentally welcomed and liked. Not just, again, like, Christian love can be real begrudging sometimes. I, I love, and I'm not going to swear on this show, but I do love the, the bumper sticker that says, uh, God loves you, everyone else thinks you're a jerk. Right? And that's true. Um, they had that, like, the gift of... And it wasn't much, right? It was, it was not a, like, you know, they weren't wealthy. The tr- location is wildly unstrategic. Um, they didn't have the capacity to be a food bank or whatever. But what they could be was if you are a person living a lonely country life, which can be really lonely, you came in that door and you actually weren't lonely anymore. The world needs more of that radical hospitality, that yeah. genuinely radical hospitality. And How every church is supposed, we're supposed to have that gift. Not every yes. church does. That church really did. It shocked mm-hmm. me, right? Like it was, I, I, you know, I, I, I should not be prejudiced. I have suffered from my own prejudices. And Smith Chapel, I had to, like, I caused me to repent. I underestimated them. Um, I underestimated them when I found out that I'd been appointed there. Apparently I had never heard of Tunnel Hill. Um, and I don't know what I expected, but I did not expect a church that still, that had this 
incredible gift for, as you put it, radical hospitality. Mm-hmm. But like, so it is not like, you know, maybe it's a social services thing, right? Um, but maybe it's a kind of community you can be thing. Yes. Right? That it's not like we we leap to the social services stuff. Or maybe maybe this is just a mainline Christian Methodist problem. But like so often, like we talk about make a difference in our community. And what we mean is what can we hand out? Yeah. And that might be the thing. But for Smith Chapel, that certainly wasn't because they didn't have any more than anybody else around them. Right. Um, but folks need, as Jesus said, humanity does not live by bread alone. As Jesus says to Satan, sorry, and I, you know, I'm, you know, yeah. recalling where this is, right. You know, you know, Satan offers Jesus bread and Jesus responds, humanity, humanity does not live by bread alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you look at your church and say, well, there, there's already a food bank in town, and there, or, or or we're not set up to be like a food bank's real sounds real easy. Store food, give food. It's really challenging. It requires a, like a technical ability, and if y'all don't have that, I mean, by all means, contribute to one in your community. But like, yeah, if that's not your gift, that's okay. If handing thing, if you know, shoot, there have been times in this church we haven't. We couldn't hand out anything. We didn't have anything to hand. If it wasn't like I could hand down unbolted down objects of the church. You want any of the detritus around here? I can give it to you. You need <laughs> us to pay your electric bill? We can't pay our own electric bill. <laughs> right? Um, but but find the thing. Find, find the, the thing. thing that your church can do or can be. Maybe it's digital ministry, right? Yeah, Maybe right. it's this. Maybe it's, you know, find a way to reach shut-ins or people that aren't able to attend in person, right? There's maybe a, it's going to get a church van and driving around. So, you know, maybe you're the church that is accessible well, I mean, this in is, different ways, This right? is how we ended up with a van, right? Yes. This is how we ended up with a van we can't afford or can barely afford. We're going to go with can barely afford. I'm going to be optimistic. And we're going to go, go with can barely afford uh, <laughs> because part of, like, thinking through ministry to new immigrants is a recognition from our our folks coming to us and saying, hi, a lot of our folks don't have cars and we're burning out our personal vehicles. A condition of working here currently is to sacrifice your personal vehicle, and none of us are making a ton of money, um, for the sake of getting people to church. And we as a congregation had to take a step back and go, huh, okay, well, yeah, um, well, you're right, that's a problem. Um, maybe let's get a van. Maybe let's get a van. <laughs> Um, and, and, and blessedly the, just, just the right amount of resources lined up and and we got one and basically it was coming from a, this is how we can extend our gift for our gifts further, our gifts for creating meaningful immigrant community for new immigrants, right? That's a blessedly, weirdly, a spiritual gift that this church has now. Again, I want to credit where credit's due. This is Pastor Yeni and her team. I'm just the schmuck who tries not to get in the way and does the benediction in my second language. Um, but, like, that van is a part of us investing and leveraging that gift, right? Because we just had a lot of folks who, and it's, you know, we, we you know, I think there's this, like, 
and we've fallen in this thinking trap too. Like it's a way to pick up kids you don't know, and that sounds real strange. Um, and and it's this <laughs> in actually, a white van. In yeah. a white van. This in is a actually whole. Van. This is whole often whole families, right? This is just Houston. If you're you're not from here, listening to the show has horrific public transit. Um, like it sometimes feels deliberately bad. Um, it is a very much like Los Angeles is a very car centric city and it's a hundred and thousand degrees. Um, and so, and 99% humidity, which means and 99% percent humidity. Hot. Right. Um, and so it's hard for folks to get around and part, and, and particularly folks who are new here who don't have wealth, have nothing, you know, often, you know, there's this line, it's a lot in the first episode of The West Wing. Um, with their shirts on their back, they came through a storm. They sought a better life, and they sought it here, right? That's a lot of our church. Now, that's actually a lot of it's about Cuban immigrants, and a lot of our folks are from Cuba. Are Cuban, um, yeah. Like, they came here with not much. And at least in Houston, that means you can't always get to church. And so we were able to, you know, open up this opportunity to extend that is right but it starts with recognizing what is a gift one of the gifts that this congregation has is being able to build a being build a true authentic community for new immigrants okay cool now let's not get in the way of that how i as like senior pastor can now use my gifts how can i be a part of this is i can say okay i recognize this is a gift how do i now i need to leverage what our resources to make sure that gift goes as far as it possibly can. And that's ministry friends. <laughs> and that's restarting a church friends. That's, I mean, that's the whole because We just, we can't assume we can't assume that people are just going to show like I, a lot of this comes back to, we can't assume that people are just going to show up. And so we need to dig in, recognize and also not come from that deficit place. Right. This is asset based community development. Right. It is don't start from all the things you don't have. Right. Because if Smith Chapel didn't have much, right, they certainly didn't have money. And, um, and don't try to build the model that you came from or that you thought right. it, you know, if you don't need a youth ministry or a Sunday school class or a whatever program you had before, a choir, handbell choir. For some reason, there seems to be quite a few of those around still, or people who try to. We have handbells, where yeah. Where where not necessarily a handbell no, choir is needed. Uh -huh. Um, uh -huh. you know, if you are a handbell choir, that's awesome. That's fine. I mean, I used to work for a church that had three of them, right. three handbell choirs, not three handbells, three handbell yeah. choirs. Yeah, Pender. You, I don't mind calling them out. I loved that church. I loved working there. It was a beautiful church, and the handbells were meaningful. I think, but at the time right. that I worked there, it was three different handbell choirs. But if that's your niche, that's fine. One of their niches. They um, but if, if that's your niche, but if it's not your niche, then, you know, find find your gift. Find your church's yeah. gift and go be that for the world. But, I guess, but it is the like the belief in the spirit of God that the spirit of God has given you a gift too. Mm -hmm. Right? You have a gift. Your church has a gift. And it start like being faithful as a Christian period involves asking yourself, what is the gift of God that God has put in me? And how can I whole bodily commit 
to using it as an individual, yeah, and as a church in our communities. And that's probably as good a, yeah, again, it's probably as good a place as any to uh, bring this in uh, for uh, landing. Thank you so much uh, for joining us um, on this week's show. If you have thoughts um, you would like to share, um, uh, you can email us thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. Thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. Uh, this show and everything we do here in the Servants Now Media Lab is made possible by Innovators Grant, um, by the Text Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you want to find out more about everything we've got going on, it is basically Servants Now everywhere. ServantsNow.org, Facebook.com slash ServantsNow, YouTube.com slash ServantsNow. We're on TikTok. With TikTok, I don't know, it's probably not TikTok.com. Just search Servants Now on TikTok. At Servants Now. Yeah. We're on Instagram at Servants Now. Yeah, if you, whatever, like, if they're, we're not on Blue Sky, we're not, we're not going to, Twitter is not happening. Um, we're not on any of that yet, but like TikTok, Insta, Facebook, everything is Servants Now. We are all over the place, but we would love for you to be a part of this show. Leave a comment, uh, share your stories, um, share ways you connect with the scriptures. We would love um, to include that in, um, and also go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.